Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice and online workshops at connectfulness.com. Hello, friends. So, as I'm preparing this month's episode for you, I'm realizing that I should let you know something. I'm really making an effort to counter the need in our society to kind of work at a fast pace and overdo things and do too much. And so I'm really trying to make a conscious effort to slow things down. And one of the ways I'm doing that with this podcast in particular is this is only a monthly show. And I often record these episodes like way before we launch them. So this episode, like many others, has been recorded months ago. I think it's still really relevant and a still really important conversation. And you're going to notice that there's really big stuff happening in the world right now that we're not mentioning. And that's not because we don't think it's important. It's because we recorded this back then. And even so, we're talking about this time that we're living through and the collective effect it has on all of us. So, today I'm speaking with Dr. Han Ren. Dr. Han Ren is a licensed clinical and school psychologist, a consultant, speaker, and educator. She's deeply rooted in liberation and anti-oppressive work, practicing from a justice-oriented, interpersonal, and systems-informed framework. Through her widely viewed work on social media, Han strives to make therapy accessible and applicable to our daily lives. Dr. Wren addresses the pursuit of collective healing 
through her work and activism centered in historically overlooked communities. When she's not in the therapy chair, you can find her laughing with friends and family, caffeinating with black coffee, and dancing offbeat to live music and pelotoning. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Wren, and I hope that you do too. Join us. Oh, welcome back, everybody. I'm here today with Dr. Han Wren, who you may have some exposure to on the social medias, on all the social media channels. Um, and I'm really excited to be here with you today for just to dive in and to talk more about, I don't know, being human. <laughs> I feel like that's really the thing though. Like these days, we're all living through such a collective experience in many ways. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously our own individual experiences. Yeah, yeah. I think you can't divorce the human from any of our professional roles mm-hmm. in this time of global upheaval and collective trauma. We have to acknowledge the humanity of everybody right now. Yeah. Yeah. When you're making your videos, Mm -hmm. you're making them for a very specific audience. It feels like. Mm -hmm. Who are you talking to? I am centering BIPOC. Yeah. BIPOC and people who have been historically overlooked and marginalized. Um, I'm centering people who may not have access to um, resources of education and therapy. And um, I'm also talking to therapists and future therapists because I want to kind of, you know, liberate the idea that professional psychology or mental health has to look a certain way. It has to flow a certain way. So I am very much centering the human and the um, overlooked human in mm-hmm. my content. Yeah. Can you, can you share with my audience, my listeners a little bit more? Because I think here's what's coming up for me, <clears throat> just as we're starting this conversation, right? And I know you and I had a little bit of a chance to connect before we got started. But as, as I'm kind of settling in with you right now, I'm noticing there's this emergence of like, okay, wait, I'm a white woman, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And we're having a conversation that's not about people that look like me. Mm -hmm. I want to name that. Mm -hmm. And I also want to acknowledge that there's a lot of places where, like places as in places inside of me, Mm -hmm. places inside of our listeners, right? Mm -hmm. Where some of this conversation may may be uncomfortable, may make us look at parts of ourselves that we're not like, so excited to go looking at, mm-hmm. um, and also may help us craft some empathy or mm-hmm. compassion for others, and may help a lot of people, um, a lot of people who don't often feel that they're being centered, mm-hmm. to feel and hear that, like here, here it is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I, I just want to name that. Uh, what that whole experience can feel like and look like for folks, folks of all different, folks coming from all different areas. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that discomfort is present within all of us. And yeah, you know, it doesn't go away if we don't look at it. 
Right. I like to always talk about how much that discomfort is like such a necessary part of growth. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. We don't mm-hmm. grow without discomfort. Like even even just like thinking about like little kids growing and like yeah, their bodies the getting longer. Pain. Yeah, the growing pains, you know? There's always discomfort. It's always awkward. So if you're feeling, listener, that that this is a little bit uncomfortable for you, like I encourage you to stay with us. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna make this as gentle as we can and we're gonna look in some shadowy places. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, one of the things you talk a lot about is decolonizing mental health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that means? It's it's liberating our systems through liberating our mind um, through examining the assumptions under which our professionalism and theory um, and history reside. Yeah. Um, it's not assuming that we know, you know, the best or what's right for everyone based on this apolitical, ahistorical, Eurocentric perspective. It's challenging the roots of psychology and psychiatry and naming the harms that these fields have caused to people of color, people with marginalized identities, you know, whether it's, um, Roots of psychiatry with Benjamin Rush and Drapetomania, which he said that, you know, slaves running away was a mental disorder. <sighs> and that's, I mean, Benjamin Rush is the father of psychiatry. Or even looking at how, you know, being gay was in the DSM for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And it's really examining our assumptions and updating them, updating not just our assumptions, but our our practice and theory and how we intervene and treat um, humans based on new ideas that we are always learning about. Yeah, I think that's so important because the history shows us when we start looking at the history that there's, there's a centering on like whiteness and white maleness and white male heteronormativity and right and like we can and and maybe even white male heteronormative um ableism ableism (laughs) right like um that there's 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 this very particular person who is quote unquote i'm making the hand signals healthy right and everybody else who's on who's not in that center there's something the matter with but i think the real message and the one that i think we're trying to send is that no there's nothing the matter right or you're not broken mm-hmm. right what's broken is the system that's trying to diagnose you the system mm-hmm. that's trying to say this old pathologizing yeah. medical model which centers the individual as bearing the responsibility of healing and wellness where the system perpetuates harm and is inaccessible and Mm -hmm. decontextualizes mental health from that's a huge piece i think the decontextualization of mental health and and yes from oppression Mm -hmm. right from oppression from from there's i mean there's so many different pieces Mm -hmm. But that decontextualization, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's the system that we, we live under. And, you know, I, I always think about this, it's like, there's a balance, right? Like you can't all be on the individual. It can't all be on the system and just like helpless. Um, but historically we have placed too much emphasis on the individual to be the one who is responsible to be the one who um, bootstraps and fixes their problems through these lens. And that is where I hope to recenter and um, recontextualize Mm -hmm. based on my platform and my messages. Yeah. So in the recentering and in the recontextualization, using your platform, you're creating community. You're cre- you're sharing experience. Yes, yes. And I want to say like, you know, my platform as in this is the center of what I'm trying to share, but it's not my platform and that this is not, this doesn't belong to me at all. This belongs to everybody. This doesn't belong to one person. This is a community effort. This is collective care. This belongs to everybody. And a big, you know, incentive for me to start posting anything on social media was, you know, there's so much pain and suffering in the world. It was, you know, fall of 2020 where we're all mm-hmm. isolated. And I thought about how can I give psychology away for free? How mm. can I help people who cannot access this in other ways gain access to valuable tools? Right. And so it, you know, it's not mine. It's everybody's. What tools do you think are being like, uh, digested, drank up, like sought after the most right now? What do you think people Mm -hmm. are needing? I think normalization goes a really long way. You know, such a, like, am I the only one? This is such a um, isolating experience. And as humans, we just want to be accepted and loved and belong. Don't we though? Yes. (laughs) All of us, everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So to feel less alone in this journey is so healing. And Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, my role as a therapist is I'm just bearing witness to people's suffering, people's pain. I'm offering some tools here and there and some different ways to think about it. But ultimately one of the most healing elements of therapy is being seen. Yeah. Undoing aloneness. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only way to really get there is either to see somebody else or to have somebody see you. Yep. Right. Either, either, or, or both. Right. But to, that we undo aloneness in those moments of shared vulnerability. Yeah. Ideally both. And that's where the collective care and the community care comes in. And we don't talk about that enough when it comes to mental health and, um, you know, healing from, quote unquote mental illnesses. Right. And so in this time since 2020, right? Since the past two years or so, mm-hmm. um, there has been an increasing amount of isolation. Yeah. Right. And of, of people kind of uh in in silos of thought. Mm-hmm. And social media is one of those places where people turn. Mm-hmm. when they're isolated, when they're feeling alone. Mm-hmm. And so then they land on some of your, your content. Yeah. Yeah. Which of your content has gotten the most like response, the most? Hmm. 
I think or the, the most one, interesting response. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe not just the most response, but yeah. like the response that feels um, you know, like it's really made an impression on you. Yeah, I I think one of my first videos to go viral was when I talked about how Western psychology is rooted in white supremacy. And I gave some examples and, um, you know, there was a lot of people who amplified it and said, yes, I feel seen. And a lot of people who are like, what are you talking about? about? (laughs) You know, I mean, that video actually ended up on um, the libs of TikTok Twitter feed, which is like a really bad place on the internet and like you know I got hate mail for it um so it was very provocative to a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons um and I think you know for better or for worse it's a conversation starter it's a conversation starter mm -hmm, that's right mm -hmm. yeah so how can we kind of rally around that? What do we do with that? How does this inform the way that we practice if we're clinicians or, you know, view our own suffering if we are seeking mental health support? And what do you think that conversation, like, where has that conversation brought you? I think it's really solidified my why, you know, Mm. like I'm not... Um, here just to like regurgitate, you know, manualized treatments. I'm here to be human, be mm-hmm. relational, and adapt different ways of healing to yes. people who may not fit in that right know, center. Yeah, you know, it it you're you're um, evoking a thought for me that I've I've been sitting with for a while. Um, and a conversation that I've had with a lot of therapists, we talk in, in therapy speak, we talk a lot about evidence-based practices. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and when I think about evidence-based practices, I think about that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we're kind of just saying, oh, well, the only, again, with the air quotes, the only good practices mm-hmm. are the ones that are evidence-based, then the only practices, the only evidence-based practices are the ones that have money behind them. Who has the money behind them? Yeah. Right? There's a lot of practices that might not be evidence-based and a lot of practices that go back to community Mm -hmm. that aren't even about therapists providing care. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about this, like, you know, it doesn't have to be such a binary like rejection of evidence-based practice, but how do you tailor it? How do you also allow, you know, ancestral healing and and, indigenous care, like different complementary ways of healing? Like therapy does not have a monopoly on healing. It does not. (laughs) It cannot. It cannot. And it also, therapy is, as it is structured, out of reach for a lot of people. Yep. Yep. And community is not necessarily out of reach for a lot of people. It's more, you know, like there are there are large groups of people that are not going to come see a white therapist in an office mm-hmm. and pay mm-hmm. a ton of money. Yep. Right? And that will go into their community to seek support when they need it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, you know, I have 
gotten feedback from some of my followers of how they have used my videos, my content, and like the you know interventions or tools that I share in their own community-based practices. Oh, say like, more about that. Yeah, circles of pure support. And it's been such a oh, moving and poignant yeah. um, completion for me to to hear about these stories of, you know, they're watching my videos on reparenting and then they're going around and, you know, looking at pictures of themselves in younger stages and sharing what they want to say to their younger selves and feeling that, you know, warmth in connection with other people. And that is therapeutic. That is incredibly therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something about taking out the pieces of like, this is the stuff that works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And sharing it Mm -hmm. with people so that access is not the issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think for, you know, the majority of people, I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying like mental health care should be obsolete by any means, but, you know, for the majority of people who have ups and downs and obstacles of life, they don't necessarily need this like, you know, traditional models of care to find healing. If we think about therapeutic moments in this like web of experience that we have, like we need to activate these therapeutic moments regularly, consistently, and that's going to extend way beyond an hour a week. Right. How do you generalize this? Totally. I I say to all of my people, especially the couples that come see me for relational work, that a good 90, 95% of your healing is not happening in my office. Yeah. It's what you do with the information that you learn in my office. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the moment by moment practice. And so, so, and, and this is like where I take this work so often that so much of what our work is, the, what this healing work is that we do, mm-hmm. comes down to like some really simple core components for me. Mm-hmm. Simple, not easy. Yeah, no, simple, <laughs> simple, like conceptually. Yes. Right? And not easy at all. Mm-hmm. And a moment by moment, day by day, ongoing practice for the rest of your life. Yeah. Right? Um, there's nothing easy about that. Yeah. And the practices are, are simple though, because, mm-hmm. and they have to be, if you're going to be doing them moment by moment, day by day. Yep. What would you kind of highlight as some of those, like if if you're agreeing with me and you don't have mm-hmm. to, <laughs> what might some of those kinds of practices be on, on your side? You know, like what are you looking at? Yeah. Oh, and I absolutely do agree with you. Um, these are simple, mm-hmm. not easy. Yeah. You know, first is like, check it in with your body, noticing how you're feeling. People conflate thoughts Thoughts and impulses with feelings. They don't actually know what their emotions are, what their sensations are in their body. Yeah. Get to know your body. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's like the first one. It's like, how do you feel your feelings? So you have that piece of the puzzle. You don't have to, you know, use that to drive any action. But it's certainly an important perspective Mm -hmm. to be considered. Totally important. Like, 
There's this quote that I've been like, I've, I've had like a love-hate relationship with over the years, mm-hmm. right? The, and I think a lot of it is like depending on where I'm coming from in the moment mm-hmm. and what my orientation towards it is. Because part, it can feel a little bit uh, bypassy, mm-hmm. right? And it also, I think, can go right to the heart of the thing. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the orientation that we're looking at it from, right? Mm-hmm. But I believe it's Viktor Frankl, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. I'm not going to try to say it right. But it's something about between the things that happen to us, the stimulus, Mm -hmm. and the way we respond to that stimulus, there's a space. Mm -hmm. And inside that space lies our power and our freedom to choose our response. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? That quote has long made an impression upon me. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason it has is because learning how to observe that space I think is the work. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. It is yeah. so hard because if we don't observe that space, we go straight into reactivity. Mm-hmm. What's right? contemplated, your defenses, you know, what's been reinforced. Yeah. It's all of the yeah. survival stuff that comes out. Yeah. And survival stuff, like, as in like, you're here in a good part because you and your ancestors have those skills that helped you to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They work. You're here. Yeah. And maybe they can use a little updating. Yeah. (laughs) With new data, new information. Yeah. 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 And in part so that you can live inside of a space that feels more coherent or safer for you. Mm -hmm. You get to experience that. You get to live inside. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of related to that is how do you say what you mean and mean what you say? Right. That's also so simple yet so hard to do, but you and have to observe it. it right. I was going to say it's yeah. connected back to the first part of listening to your body, mm-hmm. because if you can't observe what you're feeling, mm-hmm. and I think that's such an issue for so many. Oh yeah. Yeah. People feel like they have to say things the right way or uh-huh. be perceived a certain way or, you know, not be weak or vulnerable. And, and the vulnerability Make sure other people fake. like them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All of these things. And so people don't say what they mean and then they don't mean what they say. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And then I think the last part you know, connected to that is when things go sideways, how do you repair? Mm. It's not the rupture, it's the repair. It's always the repair. Always the repair. Yeah. In fact, you know, the science these days, like Edtronic's work I'm thinking about, Mm. the science these days is actually showing us that the rupture is so important. Mm -hmm. And like down to the neural level. Yeah. Down to the neural level, like if we don't have a rupture to repair, right? And we don't have to repair every rupture. Mm -hmm. But if we don't have ruptures to repair, then we don't get to grow. Yeah. Yeah. It actually enhances our neural pathways to evolve shame to guilt Mm -hmm. and only repair and social learning really facilitates that process. Yeah. Yeah. 
Where would you love to kind of see all of this work take you? Like the the work that you're doing on social media, Mm. the messages that you're getting out to people, the responses that people are having, the effect it's having on people's lives. You know, the whole of it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's such a great question. Um, You know, I really want to write some books that, I have been brewing in my belly for years and, you know, that's such a discipline that is hard to do when the world's on fire. Um, but it, it'll yeah. come, it'll come. Um, and I'm, you know, dipping my toes into more, you know, speaking, um, opportunities. And I'm thinking about like, how can I you know, create a community of my own, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, like, a virtual community or in-person community. Yeah. Um, I just, I want to be in community. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's um, both a selfish and selfless thing to um, you know, propagate because yes. I want that motivation to like propel me forward to build these communities. I think about communities for cycle breakers and children of immigrants who are trying to you know, be better ancestors for their own children mm. and their own legacy. I mean, that is such a necessary community because Huge. it's so lonely. So lonely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of both of my, both of my partner's parents, mm-hmm. both of whom came to America alone. Yeah. And, and what it's like to, come to a country all by yourself to mm-hmm. partner with somebody who, you know, who also may be foreign or not, but is unknown to you and you don't have a lot of history with mm-hmm. and to grow a family mm-hmm. and to grow a career and learn how to support and sustain and survive. Mm-hmm. There is so much. And that's just like me on the outside looking in. Yeah. Right? There is so much. And then the, you know, the tasks of that child. Because if you are reeling from the trauma of immigration and mm-hmm. war and displacement, right. you're, you know, survival is the yeah. goal. Right. Self-actualization or mental health or all that. That's a luxury. You don't that's have totally time a luxury. For that. Yeah. As you're describing that, I'm yeah. like, oh wait, that was my father and his parents too. Yeah. They immigrated here when he was five. And that was mm-hmm. all, you know. Um but it's the next generation. It's the next, yeah. That's and, when it's like the privilege gets to be realized. And and that's a different type of loneliness because you don't necessarily have the pressures of survival, you know, no, you have the pressure that you it. need to thrive because yeah. you need to take care yeah. of your, your parents. You need to mm-hmm. show up for what they couldn't do or what they, what they did for you, what they left behind. Yeah. And, and what do you teach to your children? How do yeah. you pass on that privilege, but also that, you know, self-compassion and, um, that attempts at balance, Right. If, if that's what gets passed on, right. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. the way you're framing it right now, the self-compassion and the attempts at balance, like that's the, that's the hope. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess the privilege, right? That's, yeah. That's the privilege. Mm-hmm. And, but what's the shadow of that? Like what, yeah. what shows up when it's not self-compassion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's not 
growth or, you know, what's the other side? Mm -hmm. And like both often go hand in hand. You, you know, live with elements of what's been templated as well as what you're trying to dismantle, learn and unlearn. And that is a dance. (laughs) That is the dance, right? Because Mm -hmm. the dance is being able to look at what has been templated, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking back to a past guest on the podcast from a few seasons ago, LaShonda Sugg. And LaShonda would ask this question, like in terms of reparenting the self, Mm. LaShonda would say, who benefits from you believing that about yourself? Mm. Where Mm -hmm. did you learn that? And who benefits from you believing that, right? Um, So just to kind of really sit with that kind of what I call a U-turn. Yeah. Just sit with that way of looking back. Where did you get that from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, building on the, where did you get that? Um, what happened to mm-hmm. you to like require you to have that experience to get that? And yeah. then what happened to your family? And what happened to your people? What happened to what's all those decontextualized parts, yes. right? You're recontextualizing something mm-hmm. there. And it's continuing to happen, right? We're not through it. It's not over. Right. And it's happening to, to many peoples, right? Like it's happening yeah. to people all over the world. We're seeing it happen right yeah, now. Absolutely. You turn on the news and you can witness people that are, are like suffering. There's suffering yeah. everywhere. There is suffering everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this this piece about recontextualizing what's been decontextualized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is healing. Yeah. Yeah. And naming it mm-hmm. is a big part of the recontextualizing it. Mm-hmm. And then finding other people who are also naming it. So yeah. you name it together yeah. and bear witness to each other's process. I'm thinking a lot about the power of community when it Mm -hmm. comes to recontextualizing, because sometimes when things have been so decontextualized, Mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of information. Mm -hmm. And that collective experience of sharing bits and pieces Mm -hmm. helps us put something back together. Yeah, it's creating more cohesion. It's creating a narrative. And then I think it, you know, it trickles down to even the most basic nervous system response of of flocking, right? Like something happens. Okay, did you see that? What do you make of it? You know, we we take stock of situations and create meaning out of situations based on how other people are responding to that context around us Mm -hmm. and you know that builds at every level whether it's just a ripple or an acute trauma or ongoing displacement devastation type of trauma yeah 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 and i i want to just name that there's a there's also a massive difference between trauma in the past and trauma that is ongoing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right like it, it takes something different mm-hmm. to stay present when the yeah. trauma is ongoing yeah and i think what 
you know, this kind of like zooming in and mm-hmm. out type of exercise has yeah. shown me and like bear witness to all of my client stories and all the, you know, stories that people share with me on social yeah. media. It's when you really zoom out, trauma that happened in the past is still happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's just a different form. Yeah. But it's the same well, I'm thinking like energy. If 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 the trauma that we're talking about is is not um, intergenerational type traumas, but something that's more like a single incident trauma, mm-hmm. right? Like there was mm-hmm. a fire or there was a car accident. Yeah, right. Yeah. That is it, healing from that is really different mm-hmm. than healing mm-hmm. from something mm-hmm. like immigration or, yeah. um, you know, war or. Mm-hmm slavery, like mm-hmm. really, really different processes. Yeah. Some are, are ongoing, as you're saying, when you mm-hmm. zoom out in multiple ways, like there's, mm-hmm. there's long-term effects. Yeah. 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 I think certainly, you know, single incident traumas are simple. They're simple mm-hmm. and they can be like massively can, catastrophic, exactly. but they're simple to heal yeah. and to integrate. Versus things that have all of these relational um, connections and roots. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, though. I'm, I'm just thinking to like some of my own healing processes in my mm-hmm. life, right? Um, and there was this car accident that I had been in. Mm-hmm. And from that car accident, every developmental and boundary violation that I had ever experienced in my life was like, here you go. Are you ready to heal? <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, web so that gets awakened. The web got awoken from a single mm-hmm. incident, right? Yeah. Yep. So I just kind of I wanted just to name that too. That that sometimes when we're talking about simple, mm-hmm. it doesn't exactly mean like not tangled up with other things. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 Han, this was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for dropping in with me. Thank you so much for having me. This is such yeah. a such a gentle conversation and a gentle yeah. podcast. Yeah. 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 I like to make these conversations gentle because I think we're not really talking about easy things. Yeah. Right. And I, it's so important to make hard topics feel approachable because mm-hmm. we need to be able to turn into them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The tenderness that is required mm-hmm. to really access and hold together yeah. Some of, you know, these raw spots. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for joining me. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and TikTok as Dr. Hanran, or you can find me on my website, drhanran.com. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. I hope that today's conversation helped undo maybe a little bit of aloneness that you've been sitting with and open up some new spaces where you might consider finding healing and community, even on social media, if you haven't already found your way there. And I'm also just sitting with the heaviness of the world. I want to name that. I'm moving through a lot of different feelings of grief and rage and reaching out for very intentional community building um, 
I think all of these things are important and I just want to encourage each and every one of you to welcome what's coming through your system too. Take care. Take care of each other. Take care of yourself. I'm just sitting here thinking, I just went to a wonderful performance of Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower Opera uh, with Toshi Reagan. And one of the things that Toshi kept telling us, the audience, was that caring for each other and caring for ourselves is the technology that we need now. That care is the technology. And I just want to let you sit with that. Take good care. Learn more about my counseling practice, intensives, and online workshops over at connectfulness.com. And if you haven't already, check out our sister podcast, Why Does My Partner? Why Does My Partner tackles questions from listeners who want help in relationship. These questions, your questions, send them in, are relationship gold. They echo the conversations that take place over and over again in our therapy offices and take us deep into conversations around the skills that are right at the heart of relationship intimacy, greater health, and fulfillment. Jules, Vicky, and I also offer essential skills relationship boot camps. You can learn more about those at whydoesmypartner.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your audio. We'd love if you follow and subscribe to the show, share it with those who may also be interested. I want to express my deepest gratitude to the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack for this podcast, Sarah and Chris Ferris, who recorded and mixed this music at Kidney Stone Studio. And thank you, dear listeners. It's such a pleasure to be on this journey with you. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and it's copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. And we'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram over at Connectfulness. Take care and be well. Until next time. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com events.